Hey guys, I'm Ashers. And I'm Pat O. And every Wednesday we talk weird. It's a weekly podcast bringing you the latest in cryptozoology, ufology, conspiracies, the occult, and all the latest in Fortean news. Everything from the ooky to the spooky. It's like coast to coast AM for people who fuck. Search for On Wednesdays We Talk Weird anywhere you get podcasts. See you guys next Wednesday. All right, welcome back for episode three of Wired. Uh, this episode, we're going to tackle season three of The Wire. I'm Pat. And I'm Vince. And with us, we have a special guest this episode. We have... Megan. All right. So, uh, Vince, walk us through season three. So, season three, you deal with the aftermath of season two. Avon's back in full business, but there's competition now. Marlo Stanfield comes into play. That was season three, right, when Marlo comes in? Yeah. Yeah, that's the Barksdale and uh, Stanfield War. East Baltimore. And uh, I always... See, I always characterize season three as... Well, Marlo starts as independent. He's just an independent guy who has a good crew with him, and he just runs Avon out eventually. And But that's when they legalize the drugs, right? That's when Hamsterdam comes in, yeah. Okay. And everyone during Hamsterdam, which is a legalized drug zone they have, because they're trying to stop the violence with the drugs. They don't care about the sale or the use of drugs. They care about the violence that comes with it. Right. So they find some sections in there that are away from people where they can conduct their business, you know, and keep the violence out. The rule is... Don't hit or kill people, and we'll let you keep doing your thing, make your money. It mostly works for the most part. I think they finally, towards the end, they, 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 there is a body at the end, and the, the whole operation comes down. But the commit, the, the major of, of the of the unit who who did it in his area, uh, Bunny Colvin, he does it without the brass knowing, like the higher ups. He's just doing an experiment that he keeps saying it's only gonna be a couple of weeks, then I'll take it down, and he has no intention of taking it down. And for a while, it's actually working. All the gangs decide to send representatives to this area so they can sell, you know, sell. They're ever apprehensive at first, but it turns out it's working out. Marlo does not do that. Marlo is independent. At this point, I think uh, he's looking to take. He's looking to grow a little bit. So he takes uh, takes on Avon, who is at a weakness right now, and turned out to be more formidable. He's underestimated at first, but he's the only guy resisting Avon and the the group of what they're doing, and. He's a problem, basically. Marlo's a problem. We were talking earlier about how everyone has like a good moral compass back and forth. Marlo, all about money and evil. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a killer. They call him his code name is Black, and it makes sense. Not because of what he of like who he is or anything. He's just like black heart, like. So and he's young too, very young. One of uh, one of the themes in season three is uh, and a, a term that you see thrown around a lot that I was first exposed to because of the wire and something that's kind of become very common in Chicago, especially with Lightfoot, uh, is um, juking the stats. Yes. Right? Where, like, you can, you know, it, it and that's something that uh, they try to say in Chicago. I, I Do you follow the Second City cop blog? I follow, I follow a lot of the police scanners on them that do the same thing that they do. Okay. Basically, everything that happens in, like, Ariana Scanner, someone tweets it, I read it, like... The, tra- the comments are filled with complete trash, but the, the information is interesting. During the riots, they had a pretty good live feed of like what was going on and everything. Well, the Second City Cap blog, it's a blog written by a couple. Uh, one of them's retired. But is that the one that keeps getting busted for having like shitty members? Yeah, those, those, yeah. But uh, it's interesting to read that perspective. Oh, and I, absolutely. I think, I think this perspective is worth, uh, that voice needs to be heard. I don't know if it needs to be. 
like you know follow necessarily or like for the record there's uh, you know there's plenty of plenty of great cops like i'm not a i'm not very pro cop i've got a lot of great cops though right you know just some jobs just can't have bad apples that's all but one of the punchlines on that page is uh murders down in chicago which is something that they they you know okay so there's more shootings but there's less deaths. Less deaths. Murders down in Chicago, right? Mur- murders, in, <laughs> murders into manslaughter, murders into whatever they could possibly make it. Right. How they, or, or, I mean, I hate to, we're not going to get into the whole COVID thing, but like that's something that like a lot of people criticize the way that the COVID situation was handled was that, you know, the numbers are inflated because everything was a COVID related. If you got COVID and you got shot, it was a COVID death. That's right. what people thought. Yeah. Like, which, which actually, like, I mean, not, I don't know. Let's fucking just skip past move on from that. Fuck COVID. But, uh, yeah, so, and that's kind of um, the driving force behind this season and this decision to legalize drugs in this area of Baltimore was that it, they'll say that drug arrests and drug crimes are down because we're not arresting people for it anymore. We're just letting it happen. We're going to try to control it. You know, uh, we're recording this podcast in Chicago and we're about a year and a half into recreational marijuana being legalized here. And uh, I don't know if it's necessarily resulted in less gang violence, but... I mean, I, 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 like I said, I read those scanners, you hear about just about every damn shot that's ever taken in the city, and there's a lot of shootings. I mean, people are getting killed on expressways now all the time. They're just driving around shooting each other. What if a baby just got shot, in, like, in the back of a car? That's crazy. So I, I drive uh, from here to the north side of Chicago every day, and, like... It was on Lakeshore. Yeah. Oh, well, that, yeah, in, in that situation. But, like, dude... You don't know when you leave for work in the morning if the Dan Ryan's going to be shut down because there was a shooting overnight, and they're going to shut down the whole fucking thing. And by the way, this is something that always shows. used to happen. Shootings have always been in Chicago, but these ones on the express with these drivers, it's something that happens sometimes, but it just seems to be happening more frequently, or we're just hearing more about it. But I really feel like there's been an uptick in the last couple of years. Well, you know why? And this, this is my theory on why this is happening, is because uh, the prevalence of concealed carry licenses. So now you can legally have a gun in your car. Right, so now you legally have a gun in your car, and a lot of people do, right? And then you have like asshole drivers, which I think of always. That part has always been part of the damn. Oh yeah, and you have car technology that's getting more and more advanced. Cars go faster, but it's like, look, if you're gonna have like an SUV that you know does like a moderate speed, or you're gonna have some like an Impala that goes like fucking super fast, it's the same driver's license, like you know what I mean? It's not like you have to. have a different kind of, like, license to have a fucking car that goes faster. So you get people that drive these cars that don't necessarily know how to drive them. And also living, like, around here, and I know you live around, lived around here, it seems like everyone has a giant fucking pickup truck. Oh, everyone oh. in this whole area does. What is that? There's everything in the back of it. They're not hauling lumber anywhere. No, no. Where are they going with it? Truck culture drives me crazy. <laughs> the, basically, the south suburbs of Chicago are just basically the south, like... I mean, that's just what it is. The trucks and, like, I don't know, that, like, whole culture and everything. There's way more pickup trucks out here. Uh, yeah, I think this is, When like, I see in the city, I get surprised. Anything south of 159th, and you might as well be in Tennessee. Yep, same, same rules apply. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, so this, this season tackles the question that a lot of people have put forth for the longest time, that uh, if you legalize drugs, you will reduce crime. Yeah. Because there won't be, and you'll reduce violence as well. And how does that work out in the wire? It actually, for his area, it actually worked. I think they lose two people, one to an OD, uh, Bubbles' friend Johnny. He dies, and they find him at the end. When they finally do blow this thing up because the newspapers find out about it. 
So they're forced to make it look like it was a tactical operation, and they close the whole thing down. They arrest whoever's there, and they find a body in one of the vacants that was in the area and his bubble's friend Johnny. Right. But the only murder that happens in the Amsterdam area, it's called Amsterdam, which I thought was the best name for it. Most of the kids in the area, they don't know what Amsterdam is, so they call it Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most people have never left. I mispronounce it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one kid mispronounces it, and it literally takes off in the whole city. Right. Because, you know, it's not like everyone thought that one kid did, and it took off. And they get one body, because these two kids get into a fight, because someone made fun of the other one's shoes or something like that, and they shot him. So what happens is Carver tries to drag it past the border of Amsterdam so that the crime looks like it happens somewhere not there, so it won't fuck up the stats that he's trying to prove. But... Colvin won't let him do it. He's like, I appreciate you having my back and everything, but you know, like this is like this is gonna mess it up. It happened there, literally one body the whole time, and it was over a, a small fight. And the, so they say he basically tells the people that are working there, the lead, like the lieutenants from the gangs, because they don't send anyone big there. They just send like their lieutenants, people that they can afford to lose. Tell them, tell your guys, give me the shooter, or Amsterdam's over. You won't. You're back out of the corners, and we're gonna bust your ass every single day. So they all talk to the it was somebody in I think Barksdale's crew, and they talk and they give the guy up like it's not worth it. This kid shot somebody over nothing and almost blew the whole operation up. Everyone's making money right now, and the police in that area ain't doing shit. One of the I had a friend that uh, went to Amsterdam uh, during college or right after college, and I remember him coming back and you know because Amsterdam like literally like in was it Austria? Is it was it? You seem educated. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's not Austria. Is it Denmark or? It might be them. Okay, so he came back, and uh, you know it, it's kind of like the promised land for like young stoners, like the Netherlands. Netherlands. Okay, so what's it like, you know? And he's, he was telling me, yeah, drugs are legal, prostitution is legal. He's like, but there's a there's a uh, a city department. Like, we have streets and sanitation, you know, stuff. They have a department that uh, their sole purpose is to go around uh, every morning and pick up all the ODs. Oh. Because they're all over the parks. You get them all. Not like it's like, you know, a zombie apocalypse where there's like the the streets are littered with dead bodies. But it's enough to where that there's an independent uh, agency that goes along and picks these people up. Which I think is, you know, it's it's really fucked up, actually. But I don't know, like, if drugs were legal everywhere else, I don't know that would necessarily happen. People go to Amsterdam to party. I know if I went there, I've never been, but if I don't went there, I'd go harder than I ever would at home. I would, basically, I would try everything. And when you go a lot harder with drugs you're not used to, and there's, like, all this freedom to it, no shame, you don't got to hide anything, ODs will happen, you know? Well, yeah, when Colorado was one of the first states to legalize marijuana, and I remember uh, them talking about the hotel, I think I was in the hotel industry at the time still when that happened. Them talking about hotel workers are having, like, uh, like, drug training because they're dealing with so many people that are coming to Colorado for like conventions and shit and being like oh I'm gonna go get a hundred milligram brownie and eat the whole thing and then they're they're wigging out they're like oh my god Jesus is in my closet and like all this crazy shit and you're just some front desk agent at the hotel and you're like fucking hype I don't know what dude you're you. just high lay down for a minute and listen to some music in the dark like. right but they, but that's something that the city needed to adjust to compensate for you know what I mean so it's like the idea that like you legalize drugs and all the problems go away okay maybe but it creates some new ones and then you have to deal with those and then you have to look at the problems it creates versus the problems that hopefully it, it gets rid of well people thought marijuana use would skyrocket when it became legal and from what last thing I read is it really hasn't the regular it's gotten some new users 
But I think the allure of it being illegal was a lot of driving for some people. Well, dispensaries are a pain in the ass. Not, not if you go uh, in nor- like northern suburbs. Oh, it's incredible. Uh, there's one in what, what town is that? The one I like, oh, Rosemont. It's Rosemont, yeah. I, every time I walk in, no line. I'm in and out in five minutes. Do you have to place your order online the night before? You can. You don't have to. I walk in. They'll be. Did you place an online order? No, I know what I want. Okay, go in. I check the website, see if it's available. Walk in. They were really bad for a while, but they like uh, most of them have turned it around. Dude, I go every two weeks, and I have to. Where do you pl- go? I go to the one in Worth. One hundred. I like go to Fifteenth and uh, Harlem. Yeah, we've been there. That one usually has a line. I've gotten in and out of there in five minutes. It, it depends. You know, I hate to say it, but it's the fucking medical people. We're yeah. like, you'll be like next in line, and then there'll be like four people with a medical card, and they'll be like, God damn it. <laughs> Like, I got the same problems as you, damn it. Like, <laughs> well, then it's like some of them are just like caretakers, and it's like, all right, like I could. That's like a primary medical card. It's not hard. That's, getting a caretaker is just sharing with a buddy. That's yeah. all that is. Well, you, if you have a medical card, but you're unable to like deal with it, you can assign somebody to be your caretaker. And then they can go in and use your medical card. With every medical card, no questions asked, you can have one caretaker. Yeah. So if I got a medical card, Vince could have a be my caretaker, no problem. Right. Um, yeah, that's why I told my mom, like, one of us has to fucking do it. Yeah. Just put the other one on it. Um, but, the yeah. They're significantly less for it. It's just significantly less. Oh, that well, that's the whole reason to do it is that, like, I went on a run, and I had probably spent $50 in sales tax. Um, and I was like, you know, we would have saved 50 fucking dollars, and I wouldn't have had to wait in line if we had just gotten this medical card. But uh, my, my point is, is that the dispensary system that's in place now in Illinois, and I could see that model kind of lasting for a while. That's a lot different than walking into 7-Eleven and being able to and get the shit. And buying a pack of joints or whatever. People always thought you'd do the marble, you know, the, the marble weed packs you always see. You know, like, oh, they're going to start selling joints here. Or, like, liquor. Like, it's it's there's the liquor rack behind, you know, the counter, and then there's the weed I always rack. just said legalize the drugs, regulate the shit out of them, and treat treat the addiction problem and treat the problems that come from it. But legalize the shit out of them and regulate it. Don't let anyone just be able to walk into a place, but don't make it impossible either. Yeah. It's a slippery slope because then you get people that will try harder things that they never would have otherwise. But you would really get rid of a lot of crime and problems. And I, yeah, and there's some people that I think, uh, as much as marijuana is kind of written off as being, like, uh, completely benign, like, eh, you know, you can't eat too much of an edible and have a pretty severe psychotic break. I was telling you earlier, <laughs> I was telling you earlier, when we were on break, I, I was like, the first time I tried that, that the RSO, or not the first time, one of the earlier times, I was telling them I thought of them had a heart attack. You had to tell me that, like, you know, you're just high and getting into your head about it. And once yeah. you said that, I was fine. Yeah. So what is the... This is also the season where... Um, we meet Tommy Carcetti. Right. Because uh, so, the they don't really introduce anything new. This, I mean, I guess the politicians and then East Baltimore. Yeah, the East Baltimore. We get more prop Joe this season. But mostly it's about Marlo uh, trying to take over on Avon. They're at war the whole time. Stringer trying to keep the violence down because he's still a businessman at heart. Sure. But season three is Stringer's fucked around a little bit too much. He he didn't cover his bases. He tried to have so in season two, Avon hires a hitman named Brother Muzon. We talked about him a little bit. Uh-huh. And to take out who is he supposed to take out? Omar. Because he told Brother Muzon he was supposed to take out no, he comes back later to take out Omar. He was there to be the muscle for Avon. Avon hires Brother Mazzone to be the muscle in the towers to run off the east side guys that Stringer Bell had already made a secret deal with that they can sell at, on their territory. But Avon wasn't aware of this, sends in muscle to get rid of him. Ava, uh, Brother Mazzone, top hitman, top muscle. He's supposed to be the best in, in the world. But 
Stringer Bell doesn't want him around anymore because he made deals with other people behind Avon's back. So we bring, so we tell him that Omar Little is uh, someone that he wants to go after. So he goes after Omar, and Omar hears about that. But Omar hears that he comes after you, he comes after him, he comes after you. So he tricks him and he shoots Brother Mazone. Brother Mazone doesn't die. He takes a gunshot. Omar realizes that there's a lie going on. So he calls 911 and saves Brother Mazone, and he's fine. And then Brother Mazone talks to uh, Stringer in the hospital, and he's like, you know, he's like, basically tells him, um, you don't owe us anything. You don't owe me anything. I'm done. I'm leaving here. Something's wrong. He's just out. And you don't see him again until the end of the season when he comes back to get revenge on Omar, who shot him. They talk in an alley, realize they've both been duped and team up to take out Stringer Bell. Right. Which was my least serious scene in the in the whole series because I love Stringer Bell. It was it was very hard seeing him uh, get killed. It yeah. was, and especially the way it happened. Because they're in an abandoned house. It's like a stairwell or something. He's, making, he's doing well. He's actually being grifted by Clay Davis, the crooked senator. I wanted to bring up Clay Davis, yeah. So, so I just... She. She. <laughs> he made that up. That wasn't it. in the script. He made that up on the spot. So Stringer is talking to these guys. They're, they're putting him through a grift. So what, what was his... Uh, the, the Senator Davis, he's known for just being a money a money hawk. He just takes money from anyone, and he goes back on his word all the time because who's going to fuck with him? He's a senator. So Stringer's being taken along for a ride because he thinks he's too big for his britches. You know, he's trying to become this big business tycoon with all the dr- his drug money. And they're not, they're grifting him. They're taking his money, and they keep asking for more for bribes and permits, and nothing's getting done. Stringer snaps, but right as he's telling the guys off, Omar walks in and drops Stringer's muscle and then points at the, constru- the guy with the, the construction permit, so they, his guy, and lets him live. Omar runs upstairs, chasing Stringer. He's running for his life. Omar's got the shotgun. Brother Muzon is on the top floor of the handgun coming down, so they got him cornered, and they just blow him to pieces. He does go out like a man. He doesn't beg for his life. He just, like, all of a sudden, he's like, nothing I can do to change your minds. Well, get out with him, mother. Didn't need to finish yeah, the sentence. Yeah. And they blow, they blow through him. So he dies. That's the end of the second to last episode. McNulty and Bunk get the body. They get the call. McNulty handles it like he just lost his brother because he finally got Stringer. They got him on the phone talking dirt. They got him. He fucked up. McNulty has him in bracelets. He's been trying to do it for two years, and he's got him. But then Stringer Bell gets killed, so he technically gets away with it. You know, The Wire creates such good characters that I think there's, it's, there's inevitably a sense of letdown when they kill them off. Like the I, whole time in Stringer Bell, before he died, I'm thinking, he's going to get out of this. Tomorrow. He's going to talk his way out of this. Yeah. Until they shot him, I was like, oh, I hope he survived those seven shotgun blasts and the handgun blasts through his body. <laughs> no, there, there's not There's not too many wire deaths that I think I felt that were satisfactory. Most of them, I, I felt like they kind of cheated. There's another character uh, that I'm going to bring up in a second that I think had like the most ridiculous demise of all of them in the fucking series. Cheese was satisfying. It's the end of season five. Cheese. He turns on when he turns on Prop Joe, and Slim Charles just shoots him in the head as he's saying like, "Well, he's like, let's just buy this. Let's just buy out uh, Marlo because Marlo's trying to get out because of his things. We'll get to that." Yeah. But she, you know, everyone was loyal to Prop Joe. People love Prop Joe, especially Slim Charles, who ended up kind of partnering with them, and he would help Slim run the West Side. Basically, Prop Joe runs East and West by the end of it with Marlo, and so he's talking about this, and it turns out Cheese turned on Prop Joe, got him killed by uh, Marlo. And Cheese, Slim Charles, in the middle of his sentence, shoots Cheese in the head. And he's like, that was that one's for Joe. And he's like, 
this sentimental motherfucker, the other guys that are partying with him, this sentimental motherfucker just cost us $2 million because she was going to pick up the slack and they were going to form their own co-op and buy out the drug connect from the Greeks, from Prop, from Prop Joe. Is this the season where Omar uh, goes to jail? Season three is, yes, that is when Omar goes to that, jail. That was one of my favorite scenes is to see him go in there and then... Uh, they set put him up. The, put on the telephone book armor, and, like, he's got those two big dudes waiting on him. And yeah, from his buddy Butchie, who runs that bar, a blind, like, OG-type gangster who uh, used to be a big deal, then he's blind now. So he just, he's Omar's money guy, and, like, one of the few people Omar actually trusts. So Omar gets sent to jail for possession, or for, for homicide. Uh, Chris Partlow, they want to get Omar off the streets. So Chris Partlow, who's Marlowe's right-hand man, Kills a civilian in broad daylight in one of the stash houses and tells their guy who runs the drugs out of his bodega that, like, say Omar, and then pistol whips him. So then he calls and said, Omar just walked in here and shot the civilian. So Omar gets arrested. He starts to feel the heat in the liquor store. The cops are onto him, hides his gun in the freezer, grabs a tall boy, goes outside so he can get busted with the gun and they arrest him. He gets to make one phone call from Jim McNulty's phone. And he calls uh, Butchie and says, I'm getting locked up. I need some protection in there. They're going to kill me in jail. So he sends his two best guys in there. And they, they line him up. They walk in. You think Omar's going to get shanked immediately. And like he starts getting ready. And they're like, okay. They start putting phone books on him as like armor. And then he's going through the, the lunch line or something like that. Or they're in line. Someone tries to stab him. The, the thing blocks it. He takes the guy's knife away and fucks him up the ass with it and kills him. And like and then he gets out of jail after that. They, uh, he, he gets out. Because they didn't have any reason to keep him. I don't remember why he gets up. I think that's why. Yeah. They had no real reason to keep him. So now they've gone after him. So he's, he's going after Omar, um, Marlo a bit. Now that I'm talking about it, I feel like it's in season four. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's later because he starts going after Because Mar- he, he starts robbing Marlo's uh, spots a little bit. Yeah. Before Marlo was really established as the top guy. But Marlo was like not going to let his shit get taken. He handles it pretty severely. Even more than the hit. He's like, he puts a big hit out there and he's like, you know, we're getting this guy. And makes it a priority. So Marvel is kind of presented as like this foil to Stringer Bell, but he's really like a new version of Avon Barksdale. Yeah, he's probably, he's probably what I imagine Avon was like when he was younger. Yeah. He's also one of the only characters that I don't feel like has a good side. Like, we said that earlier. No yeah. We literally Marlo. brought that up in the first episode or second one about how everyone else has a good side except for Marlowe. There's like no... Everyone has a moral compass that is a little skewed, but whatever. You can understand yeah. it and not... Marlowe's lack of compass is also what makes him an effective leader, though, because he's willing to take the shortcuts that other people won't do. Like, I think the worst thing that Stringer Bell does in, like, the gang really breaks is when they put the hit on Omar... And, like, there's a Sunday rule. Like, no killing people on Sunday. Like, right. that's church day. And then someone calls him, yeah, I got Omar. He's taking his grandma to church. He does that every Sunday. And they take a shot at him. Bullet goes through the grandma's church hat. <laughs> Omar gets the ground and saves her. It's fantastic. But Stringer fucked up. Yeah. And they call him out. Like, you can't break the Sunday truce. And he's like, I don't know. I heard Omar, and I just said fucking go. I wasn't thinking. But he doesn't get killed. It doesn't work anyway. But it's just another way to show how Stringer's kind of cracking under the pressure of what's going on. Also, of course, Omar takes his grandmother to church. Of course he does. Like, he's the sweetest, <laughs> the sweetest man. He's, he's basically Robin Hood who loves his grandma. Omar robs drug dealers, sells their drugs, and then takes care of the people in the neighborhood. Like, I think on season one, after he robs a stash house, a woman walks up to him, and there's a few months until, a few weeks until she gets her check. And she just gives her, like, gives her two vials of drugs and, like, sends her off, you know? He's basically the Robin Hood. Robs the drug dealers and gives to, like, people that need it more. He makes his money off it, sure, but he also, like, helps people around him. 
you know, yeah, he's giving drugs to like a mother and stuff in front of the baby, but like, you know, we're not talking about the morality of that. <laughs> so then we get to my favorite scene when Stringer and Avon have been doing shit behind Antonio's back the entire season, and Stringer is getting to the point where he gives up Avon to Brother Muzon, who because he thinks that Avon turned on Brother Muzon. Brother Muzon thinks that, so he gives him up. Where he's going to be. And at the same time, he gives Avon up to the police. Avon gives Stringer Bell up to Brother Muzon. I got that backwards. Brother Muzon's after Stringer Bell, not Avon. And he gives him up. So Stringer Bell couldn't bring himself to get Avon killed, but Avon let Stringer Bell die. So they're having this conversation. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series on the this penthouse that Stringer Bell got it for Avon in Avon's name because Stringer's made so much legit money at this point so they can start keeping shit in their name instead of hiding it around. Right. And they're talking on this porch, reflecting about when they first got started. And, like, man, we dreamed of this shit. Like, Stringer said this line. It's my favorite quote in the whole series. It's also one of the episode. We don't got to dream no more, man. We've got it now. Like, right. we got shit, you know? Like, and they both know. Like, they both know that they've turned on the other person. But they're still brothers to the end. Stringer just wanted Avon back in jail. So we turned him, turned him over to Colvin and said, here's the list of his stash house. He has drugs and weapons here. You'll catch him. And then I'll have to finish out his sentence. His parole will be revoked. He'll go back. And then Stringer Bell can finish what he started. Avon had no choice. If he didn't give up Stringer, Brother Muzo was going to kill him right there. And he knew that Stringer had fucked up. Well, Stringer seems pretty convinced that he doesn't. He kind of forgot where he came from. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all... I, I can understand the... the uh, it's not your business thing. It's the other thing. That's right. What Avon says. I can understand that, like, you want to you wanna evolve and you want to move into the next step, but... You can't completely just erase your past and what made you a success in the first place. And that's meant you've got this whole crew of people that have been trained to do things one way, and now you're going to tell them you can't do this a different way. Now you're going to do this a much harder way. I bet it's much harder to like, use your word to do things like that than actually just shoot somebody and be done with it. Like, and I'll, you know, and also think of it like this: like, like yeah, he for him to apply business principles to the street game. All right, I'm like I'm sure it's been done before, but like that was you know very. You know, ingenious of them, but at the same time, like, dude, you took a class at Marine Valley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had to, you had to, you had the best part, the best thing about that. Like, I took that small business class at Marine Valley too. Like, and Nolte still work for other people. Like, I was like, Nolte gets a tail on him. McNulty gets a tail on him. He's following me. And he sees him in the business class, and he thinks, "Holy shit, Stringer Bell has gone legit." Like, he's like, "What does he say?" He's like, "I have such fucking hopes for us." And he's like, he's like Stringer's, a, or Stringer's a bank now. He's just a money guy. He's completely uninvolved in the drug team. We can't arrest him. He isn't, but that's how it seemed to the police at the time. So then they get to the point where they're in the stash house, and Avon and Stringer get into a fight. And Stringer admits that he killed, he had uh, D'Angelo killed. And Avon goes after him. But Avon had just been shot while going after Marlowe himself, so he couldn't really fight him off. So you got Stringer on top of Avon, like, Kind of was like holding him there, like overpowers him and just dominates him. Yeah. But, you know, he's like, he's like, then Avon's just like, get off me. And then the next thing you know, the stash house is getting busted. Avon goes to jail for good this time, as far as we know. And Stringer, we already said what happens to him. He goes on his little construction adventure and gets gunned down. Is this the exit of Avon from the series? From the series, for the most part. He appears in season four, I think, in one scene, and season five to arrange a meeting between. Marlo and the Greeks because Avon still knows them. Marlo and Avon form a truce later because they're both West Side. And he's like, We're West Side guys, our stuff, our shit's over. Our problem's with the East Side now. Yeah. So he tells Marlo he'll get him to let him use the connect. 
And he, first he meets a Russian, and then the Russian is like, he keeps sending the guy's money, and he finally gets put on the get visitor list. And the Russian shows up, and he talks to that guy. And then he's like, come back, and then you get to see, you know, someone else. And then Avon talks to him. And he's like, don't worry, I'm going to hook you up. You know, we're both West Side guys, and, like, that was it. That's all you really see of Avon anymore. He might pop up in season four, but that's season five when he gives him the drug connect, which allows him to cut out Prop Joe. So, yeah, let's talk about, uh, let's wrap this episode up by talking about the new addition to uh, season three, which is the politicians. And Cuddy. Dennis Wilde. Cuddy. Oh, oh my Cuddy, God. Cuddy is a gator who... The reformed. Thing is, reformed now. He goes away before he shoots a guy in broad daylight and calls the police and he's like, I just shot or whatever. Come get him. And then he goes to jail, which is an exact line that David Simon also uses in... Uh, he plays out this scene in The Deuce. The guy that plays Tim Charles, he was a cook. He shoots a guy, like a pimp or something like that, and then he's like, I just shot this guy, come get him. So that's something that David Simon has definitely heard before. That was season one. Of the Deuce. Yeah. Yeah, season yeah. one. So that was some Charles that did the shooting too. So that was funny. So then you get Cuddy who comes out. First thing he does, he tries to play it straight. No, first time he goes back into life. And it's not for him anymore. He has to get piss tested regularly. But he's got everyone doing drugs around him. And they have this party where this woman ODs and they just wrap her up in a blanket and toss her aside like she's nothing. Yeah. And that. and that that was like one of the final straws for Cuddy, and they were telling him to shoot this guy at a rival gang, who had been in their territory, and he has a guy point blank. This guy robbed Cuddy earlier. Cuddy gets a package, which is basically just like a brick of heroin that you're allowed to sell on the street to make your money that you've been in prison. He gives it to a guy. He's like, "We'll split the profits." You know, it's like it's like a seventy thirty split. He comes back and he's like, "Oh, I got popped by the cops. What are we gonna do? We lost the money." He was lying. He stole the drugs. He didn't know. He didn't know Cuddy was a, was the guy. So, Cuddy can't do anything at this point. He's fucked. So, they finally get to the point a couple episodes later where Cuddy's back in the mix and they're like, okay, this guy's over here. Shoot him. It was Fruit. The guy who he, he gets he get in season four. He, uh, you see him a couple of times. He always wears like this goofy, like floppy hat. And he, so he's got him. He's like, he's like, he's like I can take your whole hat off and the, K, and the Kango don't with it or something like Kango. And, yeah, and he's telling this all this to Avon because he gets this guy dead and writes the deal. He got him on the ground with a gun at him and lets him go. And he goes to Avon like a man. He's like, "This isn't him anymore." He's like, "He's like." And Avon's like, "You don't got to be a soldier anymore. We'll find something else for you to do." He's like, "No." He's like, "The game's not in me anymore." And he goes straight. He starts working a lawnmower company. He quits it for a bit, and then he goes back after he went back into the life because he realizes there's nothing else out there for him. He meets up with the next girlfriend who gets him a job later on. Well, that's when he ends up picking up the kids to like, skip school or whatever. Uh-huh. But yeah, that, then he goes with that. But he's out. He's like one of the. He's a pure good character. I don't think he does anything wrong on the show after he gets out of the life. Yeah, I don't think he does. He builds himself back up. He starts a boxing gym for the kids. Yeah, he's another success story. Him and Bubbles. He gets uh, brought to Amsterdam and he catches all the kids that were fighting on the basketball court. He's like, "You got to throw your hands the right way. Come to my gym." Right. And he goes up to Avon for a loan. And Avon, he's like, $10. He does his whole spiel. He has his whole presentation together. As for $10,000, Avon laughs at him. He's like, break this motherfucker off 50. He's like, you know what? Like, he's like, $50,000. He's the best equipment and everything. He's like, Avon, you used to box. Like, and Avon's like, yeah. He's like, well, we was our platinum membership. He's like, I don't have my fucking picture up in there. He's like, 
So Avon, he came to he came to Avon like a man. Avon let him go. That doesn't always happen. Right. But he was done. He was out. He was just. In your experience with Baltimore street gangs, that, that's not a common occurrence. <laughs> it's not a common occurrence. But I, yeah, you're right. You know, Marionette Park fucking street gangs. Hey, the Marionette Park street gang is fierce. Okay. <laughs> we ran that. We ran that parking lot like motherfuckers. But uh, yeah, I'm just talking on my ass at this point. <laughs> well, no, I, I I wanted to bring up Cuddy, but I wasn't sure how much of the story took place in season three. But he is one of the most endearing characters, and you know, like when you mentioned his name, we were like, oh, yeah, because he's more prominent in season four and five. Yeah, mostly four, five is only there for a little bit. But um, yeah, it's something we just you forget about him in season three, but that's when he's introduced. Right. Yeah. He's one of Weebay's guys, like Weebay's friends. Then you see him in the prison. He's like. Go talk to you. you know, here's a number you can call. That's when they give him the package and everything. Yeah. And he tries sneaking in. He does try to play straight when he gets out first with the lawn mowing company. And then it's too much work, so he quits. Right. And then does it, and then he ends up going back. Yeah. And he's really good at it, too. He learns Spanish, and he's like... Or he's, he's talking to the other black guy that runs it. But it's, too, it's like a black guy that runs it, but he has all these Mexican workers. And he's like, hey, you learned Spanish. He's like, we'll split up these routes and partner up. And, you know, he never learned Spanish because then he gets the other job offer. But I mean, it just shows that, like, he went from a guy who was tired and hated the job to someone that this guy was willing to partner with, you know? Yeah. He just threw himself into it once he realized there was nothing else for him. Cool. So that's all I got. You got anything, Megan? No. No. And season three, yeah, that's basically with Stringer Bell uh, getting killed. Yeah, that's that's the big, uh, that's the big moment. And by this point, the, 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 the cry, major crime unit, they call it, is a regular thing. Okay. It's a regular thing now. It used to be like they bring it out every now and then, but the rule was that they make it a permanent unit if uh, they brought back a port cage or something like that. That's what the deal Daniels made. So now it's a regular unit. McNulty's in there, and all the originals from the first season are in there, and basically nobody else. There's no one new added to there, I don't think. You get like a couple of faces you don't recognize that like you just see it sometimes. But it, what is going on with Herc this season? Is this the season that he loses his badge? This is the one. Not where he loses his badge. He's the one that dimes to the newspapers about Amsterdam. He loses his badge in season four when he uh, fucks with that connected pastor. And then season five, he it, pops up as a security guard for a policy. He's, the, yeah, he's no, he's the uh, he's the uh, private detective for uh, Levy, the lawyer. Okay. And he's like the one that gets, hang with the cops, gets the dirt, gets leaving the things he needs. Because he's been a cop, he knows, like, he's got the connections. That honestly makes perfect sense for that. He's good character. at it, too. I believe he loves him by the end of it. He's like, he's like, because he, he gets, uh, he gets something with, he gets Avon Bar, or he gets Marlowe's pager or something like that number for the lawyer. And the lawyer knows this gives a lot of money because if they use the phone and the pagers, they're going to get fucked. Right. So he's like, you're coming over and making brisket, you know, because he's the most Jewish lawyer in the world. Like, <laughs> and he's just like such a hard ass with this guy. He loves Herc all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, and Herc, uh, remember when the one season, I think it was season three or season, season three, I think, when Herc walks in on the mayor getting a blowjob. By the way, that dude is like one of the biggest dicks you'll ever see. I don't know if it's a prosthetic or not, but that girl literally had to get whiplash going back that far and fast. Like, <laughs> and you see it for a second. I'm like, I remember seeing it like, that dude's got that dick? Like, is that fake or not? You can never tell. I don't know. If you're going to be on TV, get a prosthetic. I would 100%. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I'm Irish, so that's why. <laughs> big mouth, small dick. Yeah, big mouth, small dick. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for episode three of Wired. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you didn't, it's all right. Yeah, whatever. what are you going to do about it, right? It's free. Fucking quick plan. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you guys for episode four covering season four. 